0: Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 8 Chad Collins, currently the City Councilor in Ward 5, running for re election as Ward 5 City Councilor. Recorded on August 10, 2018. Chad Collins, Welcome to the Public Records Podcast, The 155, Interviews of All the Candidates. Good afternoon.
1: Thanks for having me
0: on, Joey. Firstly, tell us, who is Chad Collins? Chad Collins is a
1: 47-year-old who's raising his family in the east end of the city. I've lived in this area my entire life, went to school in this area. I have represented the ward for, I think, half of my life now almost. I've had a long-standing history of public participation, not just in politics, but in volunteer efforts, and I'm then obviously living here as a child with my parents. And I'm excited about running again. Why are you running? Well, I'm running because it's an exciting time in the city's history. There's a lot of projects that I've worked on in the last four to eight years that I'd like to see come to fruition. Housing has been for the last term my key priority. Having worked for almost a decade on the city's waterfront, having established that plan and implemented a number of projects. Setting sail has finally passed, one small appeal to deal with still. But housing for me, and of course there are ward issues that I deal with, but on a citywide basis for me, housing has been something that I've thoroughly enjoyed working on. And that is the motivator for me in terms of continuing that good work that the board has done and council has made strategic investments. And I want to continue to build a better city for my kids who are just entering high school. And at some point in time, they'll be in the Hamilton job market. And with all the issues we're facing as it relates to gentrification and other things, I think there's a a key role for an experienced person like myself to play around the city table, and I enjoy it. I love dealing with people. I have always liked dealing with people. I think I have a fairly good ability to bring people together around the council tables. We work with a very eclectic group oftentimes. Every council is different, but I've always had a good working relationship with my colleagues and with city staff. And I think for those reasons, I've had the ability to get things done. And so that's some of the motivation in terms of why I'm running. There's a long list of issues that face the ward in the city. But to summarize it, I think those are the, the motivating factors for me in terms of seeing the city do well and, you know, diving right in with the affordable housing file, which again, I've enjoyed doing in the last four years.
0: For clarity, for those listening, uh, setting sail is referring to the setting sail secondary plan, which is the West Harbor area, west mm-hmm. of Wellington, north of Cannon. How have you contributed to your community and to our city? I've been a member of council since
1: the mid-90s, and I was uh, still in university when I ran for the first time in 1994 and 95 when I was successful in the by-election. And so I've contributed as part of successive regional councils and city councils. I volunteer my time in different shapes and forms. I've been very active in the community, whether it's baseball, sports, other things. Uh, for me, I've just always been involved, always been busy, I've always been active. And so my contributions have come in a very formal way at City Council and in a very informal way in terms of my personal life. In those two capacities, I've certainly contributed to try to make our city a better place. And I think we're seeing the results of that over the last number of years. I would say from a contribution standpoint at Council, I'm probably known as one of the more fiscally conservative people on council who takes a very active role in the city's budget process. I mentioned earlier my involvement in affordable housing and someone who's raised in for a number of years in affordable housing at Toriel Crescent. That's near and dear to my heart in terms of trying to make improvements there course, on the waterfront file. These are citywide issues, Joey, that I'm talking about right now. On the waterfront file, I have a long-standing history of making improvements, not just in the West Harbor with Pier 8 and other areas, but also in my own area with Confederation Park and the implementation of the uh, master plan. And then, of course, I could go on and on about many of the neighborhood associations and groups and individual residents that I've worked with to make Ward 5 a better place over the years, but that would be a very long and drawn-out conversation. I think I've shown the ability to get things done on council, and I've been able to bring people together And I've done that in a very successful way. There aren't too many issues that I'm working on that uh, a split vote on council or there's controversy. I've usually had the ability to look at the policy, look at the financials associated with something, propose those to both my colleagues and in consultation with city staff. And I've been successful at bringing things forward that have passed. And we're seeing the results of them today. And we've also seen the results in the past as well.
0: What are your two priorities for Ward 5 and two priorities for the city as a whole?
1: Well, for Ward 5, I would say right now it's, if I had to pick two for the top of the list, infrastructure. There's just no shortage of infrastructure-related projects as it relates to almost every neighborhood across the city, but Ward 5 has its own challenges. And a lot of that has to do with the declining amount of support from higher levels of government. I mentioned earlier that when I started, we started to experience downloading from the province. There was a greater strain placed on the city's budget process to pay for things that historically were either paid solely by one level of government, in that case the province, or were cost shared. And I recall in the 90s and leading just into amalgamation, there used to be federal and provincial grant processes for roads, sidewalks, bridges, and sewers. And we haven't seen that probably now in a decade. It's almost a go-it-alone policy that most municipalities are faced with. Almost every single budget book that's in front of us, when we receive those late in the year, going into the next calendar year, almost all of them talk about the infrastructure deficit, not just here in Hamilton, but other large urban municipalities face. And they emphasize the need for provincial and federal governments to really get back into the game and to start investing in the bricks and mortars that municipalities require. For me, infrastructure is a big one. I obviously know what my needs are in my current Ward 5, and with the boundary changes, I've had the opportunity to speak to Councillor Conley, I've had the opportunity to speak to people who live in the current uh, Stony Creek downtown area, and just received an email this morning from someone who's anxiously awaiting the repaving of their street. So infrastructure is a big issue, and it's not just roads and sidewalks, it has to do with sewer upgrades and bridges, and you could even apply that to parks and recreation. And I do have a number of projects that I've been working on, the expansion of the Riverdale Recreation Centre that will have a seniors, hopefully affordable seniors housing above it, the expansion of Sir Wilford Laurier, which is also scheduled for next year in 219, and then a whole host of road and and sidewalk improvements that are planned as well. So infrastructure across the board seems to be, not everyone's, but seems to be for the majority, the top priority. To narrow it down for number two, it's maybe they're interrelated and it has to do with gentrification, intensification and housing if i look at stony creek as a for instance in downtown stony creek they have i think 5 or 6 very large housing applications that are in, will be in front of the city's planning committee at some point in time in the near future i think there's actually one at our next meeting at planning and it's something that all of hamilton is facing we're seeing a lot of intensification in all parts of the city but for stony creek it's very unique because It's essentially the height limits and the developments have been fairly uniform for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And now we're starting to see applications of 12 stories and 20 stories. And so those development pressures place great strain on community, irrespective of whether they're in Stony Creek or elsewhere. Just in the preliminary conversations I've had with a new neighborhood association that has formed and with preliminary discussions that I've had with individual residents and businesses, it's a concern for Stony Creek that there are these applications that are in front of planning and what's the result of these developments and what's the impact of the developments if they're developed with what the applicants have applied for. There's concerns about traffic congestion because it's already a narrow stretch in downtown Stony Creek. There's concerns about whether there's the appropriate infrastructure there to allow these developments to take place. And then, of course, there's the precedent-setting nature of some of them. As soon as you allow 10, 12, 20 stories in an area that only permits 6 or 8 stories, there's the concern then that that becomes the new norm, and future applications then will gravitate towards those height densities or intensified numbers. I said earlier that infill is obviously related to that, and gentrification. We're starting to see, with these big developments, we're starting to see higher rents. We're starting to see higher sale prices for condominiums and for individual houses.
0: Chad, I'm going to have to ask you to wrap up your priorities. Yeah. You're going beyond one and two.
1: I I would say they're all interrelated, and, and all of those lead to the need for affordable housing. I would say specifically for Stony Creek, and I'm going to see that in Riverdale, I think, in the new term, if I'm councillor for the area. Whoever that is, we'll see those types of development pressures and the baggage that comes with them in terms of gentrification and the need for affordable housing.
0: Thank you. What are three skills that you will bring to elected office that make you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council?
1: Well, clearly I have experience. I think my experience counts for something. I know that there are oftentimes during an election process, there's candidates who are running against incumbents, are looking for calling for change. It seems to be in some circles, experience doesn't have value, and I would argue that it does. And I would argue that I have the ability to get things done at City Hall. I'm known as someone who's very proactive in terms of my ward. Very proactive, as I mentioned earlier, in the budget process. I think I have tremendous knowledge as it relates to all city services. And when it comes time to then solve problems, Joya, I think I have the ability, because of that knowledge, to get things done a little quicker than others. And not just around the council table, but those who may be asking to be on council or or running in the elections. I think experience counts for something. And I wouldn't certainly discount the fact that uh, that experience brings. The ward is something valuable for my constituents when they're, when they're looking to solve problems, and essentially that's the nature of our business. Certainly service delivery is one of them, but solving problems is a big part of it. I believe that, you know, I'm still someone who's full of fresh ideas. I am a contributor at City Hall, and I've worked with dozens of people over the years, and we come from all different backgrounds, and we all have different work ethics, and I think I've proven time and again that I have a very strong work ethic, and I think that as part of that strong work ethic, I mentioned earlier I have the ability to bring people together, and that is one of the most important skill sets that someone needs to have if they're on City Council because nothing happens around that table without having nine votes. And if you can't get along with people and you don't have the knowledge to create plans to bring those people together, it can create a very dysfunctional setting in a sense. And we can see things start to fall by the wayside when we start to see a fractured council. So, so I, I
0: experience, I, work ethic, and collaboration.
1: Yeah, I would think those three things coupled together have served me and my constituents well over the years.
0: Thank you. Now we're going to have, we'll have a little bit of fun. This one's going to be interesting because Ward 5 is sort of my home territory where I grew yeah. up, went to high school. Cause you I want have,
1: me to start with um, we're the only ward in probably the, the, the world that has a Starsky and a Hutches? Well, <laughs> if, that, if,
0: that, if that's what you think is... yeah. No. <laughs> no. Okay, I cannot yeah. edit out how delayed my reaction there, there was. That's all right. <laughs> there you go. What is something interesting or unique about Ward 5 that you believe the rest of Hamilton should know?
1: I think it's a very diverse ward. I think diversity is the top of the list when it comes to Ward 5. And I think, it, and the numbers probably still hold true from just a couple of years ago, receive a lot of statistics at City Hall. And I, th- I think it had the second most multi-residential units behind the downtown from a ward perspective. So I think people, it might be a little bit deceiving when you come out to what many people might consider as a suburb or on the periphery of the suburbs. We're a very dense ward, an intense ward as it relates to housing, and so we have a lot of multi-residential. And I would say as part of that diversity that I just mentioned, from a cultural perspective, outside of the downtown again, we probably have one of the most diverse, culturally diverse wards.
0: Hamilton zoning regulations prevent the building of multi-unit clustered housing, Mm -hmm. which is in scale with existing single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s, and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. Mm -hmm. The missing middle is medium density, transit-connected housing, and walkable communities, and is important to young renters, first-time owners, and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton, You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward?
1: Well, I've always had a consistent policy as it relates to just development in general. I'll start with that. I support my residents, so I'm not looking for unanimity when it comes to files, but I am looking for some consensus in neighborhoods, and I've had a strong track record of working with neighborhood associations or even pulling groups of neighbors together to form a subcommittee, as was the case with the St. Anthony's development on Green Hill. Most people aren't aware of the provincial policy statements. They're not aware of the city's planning policies. The first experience they have related to development is when they receive a notice in the mail that says that the school that's been in their neighborhood for 40 years is now going to be redeveloped into something different, or the green space across from them has been sold by the school board and it's going to be developed, or vacant commercial. The list goes on. And so for most people, that's their first experiences. In many cases, it's drastic change around them. And their first reaction, and, and it's a natural one, is to protect their property value. And so I completely understand that. And I completely understand the fact that for many people, it's a um, frustrating experience because they walk into a situation where the rules have almost already been set or established, especially by the province, where we take our lead from, from a planning perspective. Whether it's medium density intensification, as you've referenced here, Joey, or anything different, I meet with the residents, I ask them, I I let them know, I try to assist them with an education process that says, well, here are the rules, here's where there is wiggle room, this is what the developer or the applicant has asked for, and here's where there's some discretion for us to either oppose it, request changes... Intensification, I mentioned this before with Stony Creek, it is a huge issue that's facing us because we have become known as one of the places to invest and grow outside of the GTA because of the cost and gentrification there. And I see it as important that every member of council try to work with community to balance Hamilton's need to provide affordable housing, whether it's someone who's just getting into the market or a senior that's downsizing, someone in between, because that growth needs to happen. We need to continue to grow But there's also the balance of working with residents who their first reaction is, well, the developer is trying to get everything he can and more. And many times that's true. It's not about NIMBYism. It's about finding something that the neighbors can live with that is in keeping with the provincial and city policy statements related to intensification. And there's usually always an answer for every development. So sometimes these things make their way to the OMB or the new LPAT. And it's just the nature of how these things work. Sometimes you can't find those compromises. But for the most part, with almost every application, and I think there will be challenges, no doubt, in Stony Creek with those that are on the horizon, I've almost always had the ability to bring the community together with the applicant and find something that works for everyone. The most recent one being the former Bishop Ryan site, where we had a number of community meetings. It's over 200 units on a property that I grew up around and was raised around. It's been like that for 40 years. All of a sudden, there's 200-plus townhomes. And it's a change for people. They've lost the green space. There's more traffic in the area now. There's demands on infrastructure. But those types of development, you know, the flip side to that is it's providing more assessment to the city. It's providing much needed housing. And it's helping us with our transit corridors, helping commercial properties in the area. As you well know, some of them have struggled in that area, some of the plazas. And so 200 plus new customers in the area certainly helps the commercial uh, sectors. Again, it's about finding that balance. I think I've done that in many instances and can point to all parts of the ward to show that that's the case.
0: So where should this growth occur?
1: If you're talking medium density, it needs to happen along some of the major corridors. Queenston, Centennial, those main corridors, Barton Street even, probably talking 10 plus stories. Downtown Stony Creek has limits, I think in the six to eight range. Most of the other streets, you're talking the corners of maybe like a Nash and Queenston. You're talking about anywhere you have single-family residential or even towns and semis, you're probably looking for the medium density to fit neatly in next to it. That can't always happen, but that's essentially what you're looking for. And then beyond that medium, you're looking for the higher buildings to be next to them, and it's all about gradation.
0: Thank you. What are two changes you will propose to improve city services?
1: We're always looking to do more with less, whether that's with adopting new technologies for snow removal services, whether that's trying to adopt a standard process for park development. You know, I think it's difficult to say that there's two services that you could point out to say you're going to do better. If I can talk about changing policies, there's one I'm working on right now. We have an inconsistent policy in city housing. As an example, one service I'm working on this past week is that I had someone from 10 St. Andrews approach me to say that their stove wasn't working and their dryer wasn't working, and they are a rent-geared-to-income client, so they are receiving a subsidy for their unit, and they advised me that those amenities are not included in their lease. and It was odd for me because one of the first calls I've received along those lines, traditionally when I deal with other properties that are rent-geared-to-income, 555 Queenston is a good example those types of appliances are included in their lease. And so I contacted staff and I found out that we have an inconsistent policy just because over the years as housing responsibilities have been downloaded to the city, all those properties across the city, and there are a number of them, had different policies related to what was included in someone's rent. So I think we need a consistent policy across the board. I'm looking at harmonizing then. There will be a cost to that, but there should be a harmonized service for all of our affordable housing clients that when they move in, whether it's an apartment building, whether it's a townhome or other type of structure, semi or single, there should be consistent policies across the board. And so those are the anomalies that we're faced with from time to time. I've never in my time here received that kind of information that would then lead me to to work on something. So they pop up, joint. I think it's difficult just to say that we're going to now plow the snow, um, you know, quicker when it's instead of eight centimeters we're going to wait till it's six or because they all have budget implications. I think that's, I don't think think it's a difficult question, but it's hard without having the budget in front of you to say that you're going to make changes in services because there's a domino effect. I would suggest that in terms of in a very general way, we're obviously, we've made huge investments in affordable housing. Just by the nature of making investments in increasing services, I, I think those would be, if you're looking for two
0: categories, those I'm would be th- for two changes, not categories. Two okay. changes.
1: Well, I would say that implementing the Blast network on transit. If you're looking for specifics, I would say that the B line route that we have now serves my ward and other parts of the city very well, and I think the other parts of the city deserve that kind of service. And I'm anxious to see B line type services applied to the Blast and and maybe even other routes. We are going through route rationalization in. I think it's already started this year and into next and There will most likely be recommendations for the new council to adopt, so I'm anxious to see those services.
0: What are two changes you will propose to improve quality of life in Hamilton?
1: I'm going to continue working on affordable housing. We have uh, traditionally invested resources to accomplish, if I use city housing as the example, Joey, we usually do one, one and a half projects per term. And when I say projects, multi-residential buildings, we now have nine on the go. Couple of them are in my ward, Riverdale in particular. I'm anxious to see those uh, come to fruition, and I think providing more affordable housing units will reduce the wait list. They will provide housing not just to seniors but others. And I'm going to continue working on neighborhood development in my area. I think that's a huge issue, especially with gentrification. There's the rent strike that's going on. We also have changes in Tyndale and Quigley, and they're just a lot of and, and there are challenges facing Stony Creek as well. There's just a lot of changes going on. And a lot of it has to do with the real estate market. And so for me, it's about trying to limit gentrification. There are certainly winners and losers in that process. And I'm trying to limit how much of a negative impact it has on my community.
0: Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked ballots enable voters to prioritize the candidates they feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots?
1: I like the system that we have now. I think it works, but I've never been opposed to looking at other systems as it relates to prospective changes to the way we hold our elections and ask our community to participate in them. Much of our conversation today has been focused on issues that, and I think you've covered them fairly well in terms of those that come up at the doors, those that have been front and center in terms of neighborhood discussions or even community-wide discussions. This one traditionally is not something that I hear. In fact, I don't think I've heard municipal reform, even with the recent ward boundary changes that we've had. Last election, not one door out of the hundreds, if maybe, th- I don't count how many I've knocked on, but thousands of apartments and and single-family homes and towns, not one person, when I come to the door, says, Chad, you guys need to do something about the way you hold your elections or about what you're doing with the ward boundaries. And This one's more, I see, traditionally has been an inside baseball one. I know that prospective challengers who want to be on council or have looked at proposing making changes to make it easier for new people to get on council, I get that. In terms of priorities, I just don't see this as one of them. And I think our time and our resources are better served looking at other changes and other issues that are going to play a more positive role in the lives of Hamiltonians.
0: How will you improve civic governance and engagement in the next four years?
1: Well, I always try to create work for myself. And I know that sounds a little bit odd, but I'm always sending out e-newsletters. I'm always sending out, I have magnets that I've done since 2001. They've kind of become almost like a hockey card thing with some of my colleagues. And so they like looking at those old ones from 2001 to today. And there's definitely a big change in terms of the way I look, but the way I govern has basically stayed the same. And I'm always looking for issues from my community. I have been very active in neighborhoods. I'm opening with my residents a new food bank. And so I'm, I'm always trying to generate you know, civic engagement. I'm, I'm always participating. I am one of those that show up at my community cleanup events. I'm in the water. I'm in the bushes with my residents. I'm not just sending out the notice to say, hey, come out and attend and then don't show up. I'm very proactive and I'm very active and I'll continue that. And if I'm elected, I'll, I would have a, a new uh, part of my ward that I would need to make inroads with whether it's magnets and e-newsletters and paper newsletters or just holding special events or attending special events. I'm very active and visible. I would continue to do what I'm doing, and I think that it's worked well for the community over the last number of years.
0: Well, you know that new part, they have a ice cream shop. Mm -hmm. I might be there often. That might be a discouragement of going to get ice cream and (laughs) be interviewed by Joey Cole. If I know you're
1: there, right? Yeah. (laughs)
0: How will the city's strategic plan guide your decision in hiring a new city manager and what qualities do you seek in a new city manager?
1: Well, I've worked with a number of them over the years and uh, they all have different skill sets, much like counselors, much like our senior staff. And so I I think it's important to have, to find someone who is obviously aware of our strategic plan and our our goals and priorities. I think almost every member of our current senior management team are capable of doing the job and uh, of the city manager. Chris Murray, the city manager who just lost to the city of Toronto, has done a tremendous job over the years in putting together a team that is working well. They've gelled together. They're aware of the the strategic plan. The fact we're even working from a strategic plan, I think, is an accomplishment in itself. We had these documents back in the 90s and even through amalgamation, and I'm not certain that a lot of time and energy was put into, actually, from a bureaucratic standpoint, trying to find results. And Chris has certainly done that over the last 10 years. And so I would doubt, Joey, whether there's a need for us to go outside. We probably will, just to ensure that we get a good selection of candidates in front of us. Again, almost any one of those who are working for us now as a general manager is capable of doing the job. And I've worked in an environment where it's been staff versus council, and it wasn't a good one. It sets us back. And you know, if I look back to amalgamation, we went through a term and a half of spinning our wheels because of that fractured relationships. So whoever it is, needs to not only know the strategic plan, but needs to forge a good working relationship with council and the rest of the bureaucracy.
0: Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so?
1: I covered that earlier in another answer, but I'll reiterate that I'm very well-schooled with the city's budget process. I have assisted new councillors in trying to understand how the budget process works from a capital and operating perspective. I've probably come forward, and I, I don't say this publicly often, but you've asked me the question. I've probably come forward with more cuts in one day, in one budget cycle, than most of the people I've worked with over the years have done in their entire career. I've come in some days with $5-6 six million in budget reductions that have been passed unanimously. And I think those motions, and they've come in different years, and it's all there for people to see in terms of our record, and it's on tape. I don't need to make these things up. I've had the ability to to play a very proactive role in the budget process. And I've also had the very I've had the ability to bring people together around the council table. There's a lot of different personalities around that table and a lot of strong willed people, very intelligent people. And I've always had the ability to work with almost every one of them and bring those people together and work as part of a team. Again, nothing happens around that table without nine votes. And I've had the ability to to assist my colleagues and our staff as part of a team. Not one individual makes things happen. It's really a group effort.
0: It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that's just ending. What three words do you hope we use to describe your term on council, and what three words do you hope will describe council as a whole?
1: I would hope that that summary, Joey, would include results-oriented, fiscally responsible, and progressive. I think Hamilton needs to be uh, cognizant of the fact that we always need to be competitive with our tax rate, and we've made tremendous improvements on that in the last term of council. We've had some of the lowest tax increases in the province outside of Windsor. I think we need to be strategic. You, we just talked about the city's strategic plan, and most of what we do needs to come from that document in terms of making big budget decisions or policy decisions. And results-oriented, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. I think that after four years in 2022, we want to be in a position where we can look back and say we've accomplished a lot of things. And that applies to dozens and dozens of city services.
0: Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions. Do you have closing remarks you wish to share?
1: Thanks for the interview and the opportunity to share the ideas. This type of forum doesn't happen often. It does certainly in our Cable 14 debates do receive questionnaires from different organizations that may find their way into the community in dribs and drabs. I think whether you're a challenger or whether you're an incumbent, these types of interviews that allow us to get our platforms and information out is beneficial to our residents when it comes time for them to make a decision.
0: Thank you again for joining us, Chad. Thanks, Joey. This has been episode eight of the Public Records, The 155 Podcast, our interviews with all candidates in the 2018 municipal election. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of the 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.